Welcome, friends, to The Flower of the Cedar, a novel in episodic podcast form. We are about to start the next chapter. Come, join us. Chapter 20 The Morning A senite following, the family took the road from the main gate of the city, bearing in their arms willow fronds and lanterns and scented rushes. With them walked Jan, Dane, and Lara. All kept silent for the long walk down to the river banks curving into the plains beneath the mountains on their way to the far sea. They gathered at the bank and struck flint as the dusk settled into the folds of the land. The rushes they lighted and the wicks of the lanterns, and with raised arms held both aloft. The breezes took the rush smoke and filled their senses with cool spice that pricked at the eyes. Nisa and Toman held one another and looked out to the darkening horizon. And Dane stood facing the river's retreating waters, with his hands resting at his sides, his back upright. He sang in a tongue Lara did not know. The song moved her strangely, and with something like fear. She found herself remembering that night many months before when she stumbled on Jan, speaking with the god in his moonlight, nearly absent from her body as it seemed. Had the words she used with him then been like these? At the song's close, John, Tion, and Leah came to the brink of the water with the willow fronds laid like offerings over their arms, the tips resting in their upturned palms. They knelt and dipped their arms into the river, letting the water tug at the green strands until finally the current carried them off, twirling out of sight. The three children turned back and stood by their parents once more. Dane lifted his hands now and extended them over the heads of the family, watching the willow buds wink and disappear. Give grief clean and full, he said in a voice that did not break, for the sun lost to their arms. Give patience for the winter spent without the sight of him. Certain hope for the day they shall find one another beyond the veil, and greater love for the ones who remain behind. In our living and dying, you keep us, and we are yours. In our living and dying, the 
the family murmured after him, You keep us, and we are yours. Leah crept to her father's side and held up her arms for him to carry her. He looked down on his small daughter's upturned face, and his hands shook as he bent down to take her up. John and Dion came to either side of Nyssa and silently took each of her hands, and they all began the walk back to their home as the dark descended. Before leaving the banks, Jan knelt at the water's edge and set there a stone marker, carven with small lettering, We shall not be sundered forever. The day marker of her son's death, soon after, came when the spring had not yet escaped the chill of the mountain winter. On that day Nissa descended for the morning meal, but ate nothing, and she sat as though carven of marble and frost. No word did they speak over their food. Upon finishing, the family rose as one and walked from the house, Jan, Dane, and Lara following. They wove among the streets and climbed the city to its peak, the Gan House, where it stood as an unmoved beast before the mouth of its home, content to wait and to watch. All about them the others of the city made for the Gan along with the family. The streets filled with folk the closer they came to the entrance, and yet over all a strange silence prevailed. How do they know to come? Lara wondered. Once again they came before the spar, between the massive pillars with the subterranean warmth lifting from the floor and the pale light of a frozen spring descending from the open vault above. Lara clung to her winter lion and blessed again its pervasive warmth. The women and men of the Gan stood already in their places behind the spar. Lara saw Tallinn sitting, watching Nisa as she approached, and fingering the leather guards at his wrists. The family stopped in the centre of the hall, but Nisa walked on. She approached the spar, skirted it, and mounted to its apex, where she stood facing the assembly. She laid each hand deliberately on its smooth wood and raised her head, and Lara, for the first time, thought, She looks like a queen among women. And seven winters have gone since I first came before the people, she said, and her words filled the space effortlessly, carried as though she had been a master of armies accustomed to shouting above the din of oncoming battle, on that day I demanded the god answer for the death of my son, and with me each spring you have given your voices to my question. In this season he has sent his runner with an answer, and I now declare it to you. The people turned their faces to her as one, waiting. He says he has seen me. Nissa said. 
And he has shown me his grief and his care. She then repeated the message Dane had brought in all its words, and she told with writhen face of the day her son died and how she had dealt with his body. She told, too, of the stone they set for him and the words they had spoken over the river. A low murmur moved among those listening. Lara looked about her and saw the faces of many dim with confusion, others lifted silent and wondering to the open air, and a few with quiet tears running down their cheeks. She saw one tall lad, far to the other side of the hall, standing erect and glad of countenance, as though he would dance if he were alone. I shall yet ask him why, said Nyssa, and even so this answer too shall come in its time. But no longer shall I withhold my hearts from him, and from this day my name among the people shall be Nisarinen. She is seen. After my mother, whose name also told of his seeing. She fell silent. Beside her, the old woman rose, the woman with the shaven head and its turban and the moonstone upon her hand. And I say to you, Nesaranen, she said, that we shall give our voices to your question each spring on this day, and we shall wait with you for his final answer, and we shall witness with you the giving of your hearts to the God. She knelt and the old woman laid her hands on her head. Then with single voice the folk cried, Why? And as they cried, the kneeling woman keened aloud, and the walls of the gun shook, and shooting up from the base at points innumerable, there sprang saplings, sudden, growing in an instant's time from tender newness to dark maturity. Their trunks blended into the walls, and their branches rose to great height, mingling unseen with the arches as they met the roof. And Lara saw for the first time that the entire hall of the gun had walls not built of one but a thousand living trunks such as these. Aspen, slender and straight, oak, mighty and black, bright maple, gripping fir, and a host of others for which she had no name. She stared at the length and strength of them, astonished. Nisarunan rose renamed and joined her family. The Flower of the Cedar is written, produced, and published by me, 
Kay Ben-Avraham. This content is made possible by the support of my patrons on Patreon, who make monthly pledges they can increase, decrease, or cancel at any time. If you are enjoying listening, please consider supporting my work on Patreon. Even a dollar a month makes a great difference to a struggling author. For those of you wishing to support this work in non-monetary fashion, you can tell a friend about the podcast or leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to help ratings rise so that other people can find it. Thank you so much.